We're starting a new series today called Heavy Lifting. If you've got a Bible, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And um, I, I, as you're turning there, I want to tell you a bit of a story as we get going. Um, when Joey Barrow, uh, and I used to know a Joe, I uh, used to know a kid that we called Joe Barrow, and this is not him. When Joey Barrow was a teenager, his uh, schoolmates labeled him the class sissy. At 18, while other young men were involved in more masculine activities, Joey was taking violin lessons. Not that there's anything wrong. Anybody play the violin in here today? Okay, good. I'm not going to offend at least the violinist. So here we go. One day they called him a sissy one time too many, and Joey smashed the, the young man who made fun of him right on the head with, you know what, with his violin. And that didn't help. They just continued to bully him, and it caused another round of laughter that he had beaten somebody up with a violin. There was one guy who didn't laugh. That guy's name was Thurston McKinney, and he decided it was time for Joey to get involved in something with a little bit more muscle. So Thurston exercised a lot at a local gym, and he asked Joey if he would come along. As always, Joey had his violin or his violin case with him, and, uh, and Thurston said to him, look, if you want to work out with me, you're going to have to rent a locker and put that violin in there. You're not bringing that uh, in here to work out with me. And the locker rental was 50 cents, and the only money that Joey had was what his mom had given him for that week's violin lesson. So Joey began to take, uh, he borrowed some gym trunks and some old tennis shoes from Thurston. He took his 50 cents for the violin, and he began to rent the locker with the violin money, and he would just put the violin inside. And the first time that Thurston invited Joey to spar with him, Joey just absolutely clobbered him. I mean, just flattened him. The violin player just knocked this dude out. And so the day's response of Thurston McKinney himself, he was already a Detroit Golden Gloves champion, was, boy, throw that violin away. What are you doing with that violin? I mean, he just knocked out a Golden Gloves champion in the city of Detroit. With the money his mom had intended to finance weekly violin lessons, Joey kept a permanent locker, and in five years, Joey would turn 23, and by age 23, uh, 23 he was the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. Um, what happened, Joey, changed, Joey dropped his last name, Barrow, so his mom wouldn't know the newspapers were talking about her son. And so uh, the world would know for years before uh, mom did that the sissy Joey Barrow had been transformed into the unbeatable brown bomber, the heavyweight champion, Joe Lewis. I want to tell you a couple things. One, I want to tell you there's no disrespect to violins or violinists. This is not a story uh, that's saying that sports are better than the arts. It's not anti-mom. It's not asking you to be deceitful to your mothers. My mother is here today. It's not encouraging uh, that. It's not, uh, it's not any of that. It's not uh, praising deceit. It's not praising violence. It's not about dishonoring parents. It's to say, I want to tell you, and I just want you to hear this metaphorically, not literally, okay? Okay. We have a bunch of people who are made to be spiritual heavyweight champions who have been deceived into thinking you are just made to be violin players. And violin playing may be what you have, have been told you are supposed to do, but being a heavyweight champion is what you are supposed to be. And we've got to get a vision for who God has shaped us to be. The Lord wants me to tell you today, put down the metaphorical violin and pick up the metaphorical boxing gloves. And, and lean into your destiny, though it's not necessarily what you have ever thought you were made to be. Now, we're starting a new series called Heavy Lifting, Difficult Areas of Discipleship. Many of you at this point have got salvation down, 
Like we're done, most of you being at a point where you go, I wonder if I'm a Christian or not. Most of you kind of know at this point, I'm a follower of Christ. I can talk about a season of my life when I've given my life to Christ. Many of you in this room have been baptized. Three of you were baptized last week. Many of you have some theology. I'm, I'm really proud of you as your pastor to hear how many of you are beginning to think with gospel glasses about life and, and faith and following Christ. It doesn't mean we've all arrived. I'll, I'll be honest, as your pastor, sometimes you still say stuff, some of you, but I'm like, well, we're going to have to get to lean in a little bit there, right? We don't all get it right. Even early in Christ Church Charlestown, there was a guy who'd been walking with the Lord a lot longer than me, and one Sunday he goes, I know you didn't mean it, but you said this, and we might need that. And he was right. Like, I had misspoken, but I know that we don't have our theology perfect, but for the most part, you guys are developing good theology. We, a lot of you churches, not uh, something you just think about anymore on Sunday, like worshiping with God's people is something that's become very inherent to you. You do it. It's a habit. A lot of you have got some godly habits. I think about Nicole the first time. I feel like this continues to fall. I may have to trade this out in a minute, but I'm going to try to pull that up as far as it'll go. I remember the first time Nicole told us, she said, I prayed out loud today for the first time in my life. Like, I love that. That was amazing. That's a godly habit that was not part of her life before, and, and now it is. Like, some of you are serving for the first time. Some, uh, today, Jessica is, is serving on the hospitality team for the first time. She had been checking the serve here in the community box for weeks, and sometime, somehow it just slipped through the cracks. And so, like, for the first time today, she was serving and greeting down at the landing, and, and I love that. Like, we got a lot of the basics down. How many of you feel like... You are becoming a different person spiritually than you were three years ago, just by a quick show of hands. Yeah, like, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome because a lot of people will spend a lot of their life just staying in the exact same place, right? And so we can see that God is changing us, but now maybe it's time for us to pivot into some tougher areas. And so as we kick off the series, I would say, what's next for you? There, this is not going to be an exhaustive series. Like at the end of this next few weeks, you're not going to go, oh, Got it. Perfect Christian. Nailed it. JD talked about it all. The stuff he missed, I went and studied on my own. I read a bunch of thick books, and now I'm good to go. Come back, Jesus. I'm ready for you. Like, it's not going to be exhaustive. We're just going to pick about five or six topics, and we're going to talk about how to go deeper in some of those areas, right? And on your connection card at the end of the day, if you even say, hey, I'd like to learn more about blank— I'd love to hear from, some of, like, from you on some of those. Some of those we may even incorporate into a couple of messages, but if not, I'd love to sit down with you, have coffee, or us meet and talk through some of those things, these godly habits. So I want us to talk today about the, the it, today will just essentially be an introduction to this series, okay? So we're going to throw the verses up on the, up on the screens, I believe. Uh, we're going to look at Second Peter chapter 1, uh, the first at least 11 verses, maybe the first 15 verses. Well, we'll just do the first 11 today. And, um, and so we're going we're gonna to see uh, Peter calling Christians in the Roman Empire to some heavy lifting, to some growing. And, uh, and we're going to see kind of the foundation for how it is that he's calling them to that. So 2 Peter chapter 1, let's start in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, verse 4, by which he has granted to us his very precious and very great promises. Nick and I didn't even plan that. He's saying today about how we're standing on the promises of God. And Peter says that the Lord has granted to us these very great and precious promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in this world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and supplement Uh, knowledge with self-control, supplement self-control with steadfastness, and add to steadfastness godliness, and to godliness brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nick, is there another... Hang on, I've got to get a different one. I'm going to... Like, I'm too obsessive-compulsive disorder-y to have that thing falling down the whole time. So if you look at those verses, you see in verses 5 through 7. Do you care to raise that for me? God, you're amazing. (laughs) Ah, Was it bothering anybody else? Did you see it falling? It was bothering Renee. Stop it. Now you're just giving me a hard time. Thank you. It was falling. I'm not crazy. Thank you. That feels better already. Mm. Nick just did some heavy lifting. He did put it to his height. So this is Nick height and this is JD height right here. And now, my friends, we are good to go. So do you see the heavy lifting? He says in verses 5 through 7, add to your faith virtue and knowledge and steadfastness and self-control and add all these things. But before, what comes before it? That's today what I want us to talk about. That's the foundation of our heavy lifting. Before we ever do any heavy lifting, the good news of the gospel is that the Lord, Yahweh, who our God exists in Trinitarian form, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is in heaven. He's the Lord of the universe. The Son came to earth. It's God with skin on. He came. Jesus came, and he died for our sins, and he rose again to allow us to have relationship with God. And then a few days later, he sent his Holy Spirit. So now it was no longer God just being uh, like of like over us, and it was no longer God being among us. But for the first time in human history, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see God began to be in us. And now God is for us and God is in us. And so it's this God, this Lord, before we ever do any heavy lifting, the good news of the gospel is that the Lord has already done all the heavy. He's done most of the heavy lifting. God's done most of the heavy lifting. That is such good, like, that's the good news. Like, everything that God asked us to do, he literally prepares the way for. It's kind of like when... um, when I, will te- I used to get to coach baseball, I would coach the boys' baseball teams, and when kids are really little, they've never hit a baseball, and they don't know properly, like, how tightly to grip the bat, and so a lot of times, and maybe there's tran- transfers over this on other sports, but they'll grab the bat really loosely, and so when they hit it for the first time, it stings their hands. 
And so what I'll do a lot of times is their coach, I would get down on my knees and I would stand right behind them and I would show them where to put their hands on the bat and then I would put my hands beside their hands. And then the ball would come in and I would just let them swing, but I would guide them and they were using my strength to then hit the ball and they were feeling what it felt like to hit it. And I would say, no, you've got to grip it that hard every time going forward. You want to grip it like that. But then they would have the feel of hitting it because my hands guided them. We are called to do some heavy lifting, but God, through the gospel, has taught us. He's done the heavy lifting. Jesus did the work. God has done the work and made the way and done so much more. It's his hands teaching us how to do this, but now he's called us to swing the bat, to drop the violin. Man, all the sports metaphors today. Really, really sorry. Like, get in the game and do the thing, all right? So there's three things the Lord has done for us to show us that he's done the heavy lifting. We see him right here. Look with me at verse one. Simon Peter, a servant, a bond servant, a slave of the, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that God has done for every one of you in here, if you're a Christian, every single one of us in here, if you have Christ in your life, if you've been born again, if you are his child, if he would look at you and say, you are mine, she's mine, he's mine, the first thing he's done for us is he's given us a level playing field of faith. A level playing field of faith, or a faith, he says, of equal standing with ours. Now think about this. This is Peter. You know, Peter, Peter, from now on, your name will be Rock. Simon, your name is going to be Petros, Peter, Rock. And on this rock, not Peter, not his character, but on the rock of faith and the declaration that Jesus was the son of the living God, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this declaration. And Peter, I'm going to do this around you. In small groups right now, during the week, we're going through the book of Acts, and we saw this, this last couple of weeks that Peter preaches the first sermon, and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ at Pentecost. He's the ringleader of the disciples. He's the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. And Peter says, toward the end of his life, he says, God, by the righteousness of Christ, has given us a level playing field of faith. He says, you got the same standing with God that I do. You got the same exact standing with God that I do. We can't say, oh, and we shouldn't say, we literally theologically, we can't say, and we shouldn't say, and we must not say, if I only had the faith of so-and-so, if I only had as much of the Holy Spirit as so-and-so, or if I was just loved and blessed by God as much as so-and-so, we have equal standing. Look around the room, like some of you know more Bible than others. Some of you know how to pray out loud in more eloquent ways than others. Some in the room can get up and do this. Not everyone can. Some in the room can get over and do that with the kids. I definitely cannot do that, right? But we can't say that's because somebody has more of Jesus. We all have the same amount of Jesus in the room if we're born again. We have an equal standing. God doesn't look at us and go, well, that's a first-tier Christian, that's a second-tier Christian, that's a third-tier Christian. We have an equal standing before the Lord. The truth is, length of faith does not necessarily equal quality of faith. 
How long someone has followed Christ does not equal how strong their faith is, right? The truth is the length of faith does not necessarily equal the quantity of our faith either. I remember when Carson, who's not here today, so of course I'll talk about him, he first gave his life to Jesus, he would say, I wish I had been following Jesus all my life. I feel like I'm getting in the game, late in the game. And there's some truth to that. There's some things that some of you know a little more intuitively because you've walked with Christ for years. But when he says that, that does not mean that he is of a different quality of faith or even a different quantity of faith. There are some of you sitting in this room today who have followed Jesus for a lot less time than me, but have a much bigger and more exemplary faith than me. And that's what Peter is saying here. The truth is, the length of our faith does not at all equal the amount of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we all have the same amount of the Holy Spirit in us. It's all of him. All of him lives in all of us. The question is not, do I have as much of the Holy Spirit as Juliana or Ed or my mom? The question is, does the Holy Spirit have as much of me as he has of other people. Not how much of him do I have, but does he have as much of me? The truth is, the length of our faith doesn't even necessarily equal the amount of God's blessings. God blesses his kids. He levels the playing field. How? He levels the playing field, this equal standing, it says, by the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus imparts to us his righteousness. It's given to us. Or as a quote I read this week says, God doesn't play favorites with grace. God does not play favorites with his grace. He just doesn't. This is part of the heavy lifting done by Jesus. My mom loved my brother and I equally. We saw that every day in a thousand different ways. Saw it a lot at Christmas. We would always get the same number of gifts, and mom would spend as best she could the same amount on those gifts. Listen, that was a statement of her heart, not my brother and I being equal. Naturally, I'm the firstborn, so she loves, she, she should and could love me more. I am more lovable. I'm just better than him. It just is what it is. But she did not ever love us that way and bless us that way. That's a statement of her heart, not our performance. Truthfully, there would have been years based on performance that she based on performance, would have loved one of us more than the others. And it probably flip-flopped different years, right? But she never did that. She loved, our parents, hopefully, loved us equally. That's a reflection of their heart, never our performance. And that's what the Lord does for us. He gives us equal standing uh, and faith with even the apostles. The second thing he does, look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His divine power has given us all things for life and godliness. In other words, God's power has given us everything for a full and godly life. How many of you would like to live a full and godly life? That sounds pretty good. Like, I want that. And, he sa- and, and, and Peter says, he, God has given us everything we need for a full and godly life. If we were putting that another way, he's given us all things for reverence and obedience. He's given us all things for hands, holy hands, and holy hearts. He's given us everything we need for those. He's given us everything for character, 
who we are inside and disciplines or competencies how we live out our faith. All things, God has given us everything we need for those things. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that Greek word is dunamis, and, and, there, and there's no dynamite in first century Rome, so probably the closest thing that they're thinking about might be in the Roman Empire, an exploding volcano. The dunamis, the power that would come from an exploding volcano of an earthquake or something just of a magnitude incomprehensible, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the dunamis that raised Jesus from the dead is now in us. It's power for us for life and godliness, same word. God has given us earth-shaking power for life and godliness. So we can't say, well, if I only had blank, if I only had blank, listen, God knows what we have. If I only had a godlier spouse, if I only had less hard-headed children, if I'd only had a parent who didn't struggle with this or that, listen, God knows what we have. And he knows we live in a broken world and everything's not perfect, but the Lord says he's given us every single thing for life and godliness. For he's given us the power for that. And how does he give us all things? It says right here, he's done it by his divine power, by Christ's power. Christ has given us his power. Does that mean that Rob and I are going to take a walk across the Boston Harbor later today like because Jesus walked on water? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. That would be really fun. But I don't think that means, I don't think that's what we're going to do. Does that mean that after church we're going to go get, you know, a couple of like the, the grape juice from last Sunday and those little communion wafers and I'm going to multiply that and we're going to have pizza? No, it doesn't mean any of that. But what it means is whatever it would look like for us to live Life and godliness, character and competencies, hands and heart, God has given us that. You have that. Don't believe the lie. Don't, sit, don't, don't allow yourself to sit there and think, I just don't have enough to do this. The heavy lifting. I can come to church. I can figure my way around the Bible. That's kind of it for me. I can serve and kids. That's it. Listen, no, you have everything God has given us everything for life and godliness. The third thing in verse 4, let me read to, to you that one. By which he has granted, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of a divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world because of sinful desire. God has given us his very great and precious promises. They're worth something, and they're ginormous, as Buddy the Elf says. So here's the crazy part. When it comes to our promises, how many of us have ever promised God something? You don't have to raise your hand, but we promise God, God, I want to do this for you. I promise I will do this. God doesn't ask for that. God makes the promises to us. He has given to us his promises. There's a story in Genesis 15. It's one of the spookiest stories in the Bible. If you like spooky stories, it's a great one. Uh, God comes to a man named Abram, who he renames him Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you kids and grandkids and grandkids, grandkids and all that, and your descendants are going to be like the sand on the shore. And Abraham goes, God, how are you going to do that? I'm an old man. God says, I promise you I'm going to do that. And Abram, I think, probably wants to believe, but he's an old man with no kids. And here's what happens. In first century uh, Middle Eastern culture, when you made a promise, you would take an animal and you would cut it in half. 
and you just got this bloody mess. And God tells Abraham, he says, go get some animals and cut them and, put, and you would put a path down the middle. And so, Howard, let me borrow you for a second if I can. Come on up. So let's pretend these rows of chairs. I'm not going to mess the sound up if I walk up the aisle a little bit, am I? I'm good. So typically what would happen, Howard and I were making, would be making a pact and let's say we decide we're going to cut an ox in half because it's a big pact we're making, right? We would cut this ox in half and then we would both, here we're going to walk, we would walk through the blood together. Together, it would be a, a tandem deal. Here, let's come back here. And so we'd walk through it together and in doing that, we would say, Howard would be saying, if I do not fulfill my end of the promise, may it be to me as it has been to this ox. If I don't uphold the deal cut me in half. And by me walking through it with him, I would be saying, if I don't uphold my end of a deal, may it be to me for violating you and what I promise. So Genesis 15, God says, Abraham, I'm going to make a deal with you. You're going to be a father of a great nation. It's all going to be rooted in faith. Go get some animals. Now, in Abraham's mind, he does what we tend to do. We tend to say, God, yeah, we're going to enter a covenant together. I'm going to promise you some stuff, God. You're going to promise me some stuff. And what happens that night, God literally puts Abraham, Abraham into this stupor, and there's all these bloody animals. So there's just blood everywhere and dead animals. And Abraham literally falls into what's almost like a sleep, but he sees what's going on. And the Bible says that a torch and a fire pot come down and, and they represent the person of God. And God, here you be God for just a minute. All right, you walk through. <laughs> Keep going, yep. All right, you can come back. God walks through the animals while Abraham does nothing. Abraham does nothing. God says, Abraham, you're going to violate this because you're a sinful man. I am God. I will not fail you. I will give you a son and I will give you descendants. But if I fail, you can cut me in half and I will cease to be God. He hinges the entire relationship on himself and not on us. Man, how good is that? Good. Thank you. You're amazing. Um, Genesis 15, like it's a powerful story of God at salvation saying, I will lay down my life if I violate this covenant. And then Jesus coming hundreds and hundreds of years later and literally pouring out his blood to fulfill the covenant of grace. God makes the promises. God makes the vows. Abraham didn't even have to walk through it. God did. Let me read to you one of the powerful verses. Nick alluded to this this morning in song in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. All God's promises find their yes in him. And so that is why through him we utter our amen. Amen is a word that just means let it be, Lord. We utter our amen to God for his glory. God makes the promises. And in Christ, we look to the cross and the empty tomb and we see that they're all yes in Jesus. And then we just say, amen, Lord, let it be. Lord, let it be. You have promised me all of these things that Scripture offers us. Let me read to you a quote, Juliana. If you can throw this Chambers, uh, Oswald Chambers quote up there for me. I want to read you this. You may not even be able to read it, but it's so good. We are made, so this gets to the heavy lifting. We are made partakers of the divine nature through the promises. Then we have to manipulate the divine nature in our human nature by our habits 
And the first habit to form is the habit of realizing the provision that God has made. The first act of heavy lifting is to realize that God has done all the heavy lifting. He's made the promises. He's given us the power. And all the almighty God is, is ours and the Lord Jesus. And he will tax the last grain of sand and the remotest star to bless us if we will just obey him. It's from Oswald Chambers and Mahatma's Forest Highest. I love that. The Christian faith, we can do the heavy lifting of discipleship because Jesus has already done the heavy lifting of righteousness and power and promise making. The Christian faith always adds something. It's always growing. There is no neutral. No one today spiritually in here is in neutral. We are either moving forward in growth or backwards in lukewarmness and backsliding. Christians continually experience change or transformation in their lives, a cooperative venture that unites God's power with our sincere and positive efforts at change. So he says, let's see how we're doing. He says this, he says, start with faith and add virtue. Now here's where we get to the heavy lifting. Peter tells them, here's your heavy lifting. Start with faith, add virtue or goodness or moral excellence. To virtue, add knowledge. Knowledge lived out. Not just I know a bunch of Bible facts, but I can live out what I've come to know relationally, experientially. It's not bookish, but smart for life and godliness. He says to knowledge, add self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the ability to control our desires and our cravings. Food, exercise, spending, time, emotions, our phones. I hate those Sunday morning screen reminders that tell me how much of my time I've been on my phone. Part of the Christian life is learning to put that thing down and be with people and not on a device. That, but that takes self-control and that requires heavy lifting. The ability to can do all those things, to control our mouths and, and our bodies and all of that. Add to self-control, he says, steadfastness or perseverance or uh, the, the word actually would be literally kind of translated, the ability to walk under a heavy load. Add the ability to walk under a heavy load to your faith. We, we call it, as church planters, grit or relentlessness. He says, add to steadfastness, godliness, reverence, and obedience that we saw in verse 3. Add to godliness, brotherly love, phileo, be a fierce friend. We live in a world where people are not fierce friends. We quit on people. And, and somebody told me, uh, Shannon White told me when we first moved here, Rob, she said, the, the highest value that New Englanders have is loyalty. And that people in this neighborhood have is loyalty. And that doesn't always work out and we're sinners, but at our core, we want to be deeply loyal. And scripture tells us that Christians ought to be the most fierce friends of all. It's part of the heavy lifting. And add to brotherly love, agape, lay down your life love, cross love. We have to discipline ourselves towards that. There's times where my wife does not want to love me. You know why? Because there's times where I'm not lovable. Because I'm sinful. And I'm a man of dust. And it's only the grace of Jesus and the breath of life in me that makes me worth anything. But because she has done some heavy lifting, she has learned to love me when it's difficult. This is gospel work. It's hard. Not everybody's as lovable as me. I'm so lovable. 
When it's someone who's really unlovable, it can be really tough, but that is heavy lifting. Any character traits you would add to that list or star as you make every effort? I'll tell you, for me, if Peter were writing this letter to me today, he would, he would embellish, he would really point out, J.D., you need to focus on steadfastness, you need to focus on self-control, and you need to focus on uh, applying knowledge. But he would also add a couple for me, if he were talking right to me, he would say, you also, to your faith, need to add joy. That's more than circumstance. You need to add joy. He would say, you need to add generosity. You need to add generosity into your life. Natalie and I have, we try to be generous people. We try to do generosity, but she is generous, and I'm like this. (laughs) I need to do the heavy lifting of having a generous heart, a generous character. I need to add graciousness. I need to add some boldness into my life that I don't currently have. And if Peter were writing that, that's what he would say to me. What would he say to you and your household? Are there any competencies or disciplines or practices or experiences of a Christ follower that adding to your life would help in life and godliness? So are there any character traits who you are? Are there any competencies, what you do, that need to be added into your life as you make every effort? And here's why. At the end, he says, without doing this, without making every effort, we will be, it's a list, verse 8, ineffective, unfruitful, spiritually blind, have spiritual amnesia, and we will fall away. There just comes a moment where if all we're doing is going to church and occasionally reading our Bible and sometimes saying a prayer, like if that's it, there's no root. And when there's no root, you can yank the thing out of the ground. And let me tell you, what Satan wants to do to our faith is yank it out of the ground so it's no more. Jesus even told a story about that, the parable of the sower. He wants to rip our faith out of the ground. And the way we get roots and do the heavy, the heavy lifting, the adding the character and the competencies causes us not to fall away or be blind or nearsighted with them. And if these are yours and increasing, he says, we gain entrance into the kingdom. Jesus is welcome and well done. Jesus has done all the heavy lifting, righteousness, power, promises. Now we can do some heavy lifting as well. And here's some of the things we're going to talk about in this series. And I do invite you, when you fill out your connection card in a moment, if you say, I need to learn about this, feel free to write it in the other part of your, of your connection card. But we're going to talk about reconciling and forgiving. That's hard work. <laughs> That's hard work, right? We're going to talk about taking our thoughts captive. Not just like the sort of unspiritual ones, the really gross ones that come in and want to land in our hair <laughs> and like nest down, right? We're going, to learn, we're going to talk about taking our thoughts captive. We're going to talk about generosity We're going to talk about bearing witness and living purity and putting sin to death and some others. I want to encourage you, put down the violin. Put down the violin. Pick up the boxing gloves. You were made to be a champion. It's time for heavy lifting. Uh, If you want to stay spoon-fed, if you want to keep spinning your wheels, if you want to be soft and defeated, I'm going to encourage you, take a month and a half off. Come back in July. 
But if you say, no, I want to be effective, I want to be skilled, I want to be a ready fighter, I want to encourage you to be here next week and the week after that and the weeks after that. I just think that as a pastor, the saddest thing to me is watching people fall away unnecessarily. I've never had someone in 23 years of ministry say, I fell away because you didn't preach me the word. It's not, it may happen one day. It has not happened yet by God's grace. To my knowledge, I've never pastored a church, Nat may correct me later on this, where somebody left and said, I didn't want to come there because the people weren't nice. I've had the privilege of pastoring churches where at least on the outside, people were nice. At least on the outside. Some were more introverted than extroverted, but I've never had that. Almost every single time, the reason someone falls away is they haven't done the heavy lifting of claiming the promises of God, living in the righteousness of Jesus, living out the power of Christ. And they become nearsighted to the point where they become spiritually, spiritually blind. They are spiritual amnesiacs, and they eventually fall away. I want you to do the heavy lifting. You were made to be a champion, not a violin player. Let me pray for us. Lord, if there's a quiet violin player in here, I pray they're not offended. Um, we love the violins. We love the cellos. We love all the stringed instruments and all of those. God, we get the point. We were made to be champions. We weren't made to spin our wheels. We're definitely not made to be spiritually blind or have some type of spiritual Alzheimer's or dementia where we just forget all that you've done and all we were made to be. Lord, I pray for each person in this room that they would begin to do the work of the heavy lifting. God, we just, uh, whatever, whatever is the most that I can possibly have of you in this life, God, that's what I want. And I won't always get it because I am a man of dust, but I want it. And God, even when I don't want it, I want to want it. I want to want all of you. Lord, people in this room would... I pray that just in the quietness of their heart, maybe they're just saying, God, I want more of you. And when I don't want more of you, I want to want more of you. And I'm going to put in the work. The work doesn't save us. God, let your Holy Spirit whisper to them the truth. Keep Satan's voice away that would whisper a lie that would tell them they have to work for their salvation. They have to work for your love. Lord, none of that's true. Those are lies from hell. But God, we do want to make every effort to add character and competencies so that we can have all, just all of you and all of the joy and all the everything that comes with following Christ in this life. Lord, help us be unapologetic about that. God, for the, maybe there's one in the room who would say, you know what, I've never given my life to Christ. And, uh, and if that's you today, I'm not calling you to try harder. Jesus has done the heavy lifting. He has walked through the carcass. He's made the promise and not asked you to walk through. Surrender your life to him today. Turn from your sin and self and trust him as your savior. And he will receive you with glad and open and happy arms. Lord, help us be responding people. Help us to um, think through where and how it is that we need to see the character of Christ built into our life in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.